Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? taking a break from the book what do I call it the like book um, synopsis series <laughs> oh yeah I read 20 books in my last 15 years of research about anything stress trauma in the brain and we're not switching gears and that we're talking about a different topic but we are switching gears in that um we're not I'm not doing a book study today book study that's what I called it uh what I would like to go into today is an episode I'm going to title How Trauma Travels. Because for the last five years, I'd say, I have been learning, reading, researching so much more about generational trauma. And for those of you who aren't familiar, this is trauma that is passed down from generation to generation to generation. So <clears throat> what happens is, Somewhere along the line, genes shift and pro- probably unlikely due to stress or a traumatic event. And those altered genes, if not corrected, then get passed on to offspring. So, so let me give you an example here. Think of Hiroshima, Nagasaki. The Holocaust is a perfect example. The people that had to endure that lived in a state of anxiety probably most of their days, high stress levels every day. And because of the ongoing chronic stress and really the traumatic event as a whole, the genes became altered. So naturally they did studies on this, that the offspring of those people and the generations beyond and and going down years and years and years after the Holocaust and the people that had lived through that their offspring still had that kind of predisposition to be more anxious or be more uptight or whatever it may be that had developed from living through that, even though they were never a direct part of that experience. So I want to talk about what this kind of looks like in everyday life, Um, because there are still events like the Holocaust and Hiroshima happening in the world but there are more simple chronic ongoing things that are just like the same way. So one, we should know that adult relationship patterns, whether they be healthy or dysfunctional are always, always, always impacted by the type of parenting a child receives during the first five, maybe six, seven years of life. 
And that's from the text Human Magnet Syndrome by Ross Rosenberg. Great, great text. Uh, talks a lot about like romantic relationships, but what's helpful is it it really is just kind of any relationship and, and your kind of adult close-knit relationships and how you show up in them. <clears throat> Why this matters is because that statement kind of explains how mm, your experiences in the first five to seven years are your foundation. Think about like a house. If you build a crappy foundation, the house, no matter how it looks on the outside is not good on the inside. It is the same, same for relationship patterns, same for psychological mind-based patterns. Whatever a child experienced, saw, lived through, kind of the adult's outer language, actions, behaviors, patterns themselves become the child's inner language, behavior, patterns. And unless someone becomes consciously aware of that at some point in life, those patterns will remain until they break them. So what do you need to do to break those patterns? How do you even become aware? Hard, it's tough. Just putting yourself around people in situations where professionals can help you see it, or maybe friends can help you see it. But if friends have similar patterns and similar family systems, they may not recognize it. So it's just by some bit of grace, um, by some bit of more self-awareness than your, your parents and your parents' parents, because we have more information in today's world, it might be a little bit easier. But what we need to do is identify and then isolate the reasons behind dysfunctional relationships pattern, dysfunctional relationship patterns in order to change them. So for those kids that are showing up with these big, 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 big behaviors in school, or maybe with more withdrawn behaviors, either or, either side of the spectrum, that is a flag for me that something is likely going on in the home or has gone on in the home. And that something needs to be, uh, or that we or someone, something needs to be, needs to intervene in order to start working on the correction of those patterns. And, and maybe it's not even so much that a, an experience had happened in the family system. It could be that the parents had experienced something chronically stressful or traumatic and the child or the children are this way because that's the way the parents are and the patterns weren't broken when the parents had experienced that thing. It could be the parents' parents. So what's fascinating about how trauma travels is that there's this thing called the epigenome and it's basically how your genes get altered, how they change. And the beautiful thing about the epigenome is that we can change it back, but it takes correction. It takes work. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. It takes that identification and the isolation of those patterns. And when those switches, those gene switches get switched on or off, they carry through generations and then generations after generations after generations. So, so here's why I'm so passionate about this. Like a real share moment is <clears throat> I am a child of a narcissistic codependent parenting relationship. So one of my parents was a narcissist. One of my parents was a codependent. Now, both of those codependents and narcissistic um, <clears throat> personality types, they fall on a continuum. So you can be something from a range of like it's negative versus positive. Uh, so negative 
and this isn't negative in like a bad way or condescending way, negative would mean you're more of a giving type, AKA more codependent. And you can be anywhere from a, like a zero to a, a negative five. Being a negative five means like you care about everyone else far more than you care about yourself and you take care of everyone else to, to like a fault. <clears throat> so negative five isn't really necessarily healthy. We want to be a giver, but not all giving. On the opposite end of the spectrum, positive side of things is a more self-driven um, personality type. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to be some bit self-driven. Um, what maybe, and it's not good nor bad, but what what is, is that when you're at the far end of the spectrum, which is a positive five, you are so self-driven that you are hurtful and manipulative and it's unhealthy. Okay, not really good nor bad, just is. So why all of this is important and why all of this matters is when you are raised in this environment of narcissistic codependent bonding, the offspring, the children will almost always become either narcissistic or codependent unless they had someone, family member, um, teachers, somebody that showed them a loving, empathetic, compassionate relationship ongoing that flipped that epigenetic switch back. And I lived through this. And the reason I can speak about it as bluntly or openly as I can is because at a very young age, one party of the parent left the other when I was young. So I was removed from that environment. So I was in some ways safeguarded from it. Now I was still exposed to the narcissistic parent and the codependent still needed to do their work. Uh, but not having known that in my childhood, young adulthood, none of these people were identified by mental health professionals. My patterning in my life was I became the codependent and I sought narcissistic men and I didn't consciously know that. And, and there is a deep chemical bond between the negative positive because we like polarity. We need polarity. It's how the, the world spins. So as someone like me, who is, <laughs> was, was probably a plus four, plus five, or sorry, a negative four, negative five, extreme giver, like giver, like I will lay down anything I have for you so that you are happy. I would often end up with positive fours and fives who would take everything because there's just this chemical polar polar <laughs> vibe or energy in exchange between the two that it's it's hard to uh, recognize. It's hard to release yourself from. So I repeated that pattern for a long time. And that pattern came from my parents. And when I kind of thought back through the history of my parents' parents, that pattern is, existed there too. The beautiful thing about all of this is when you become consciously aware that this exists and it's happening in your own life or it's happening in those lives, the lives of those around you, you can break the pattern. So not so fun part is doing the work sucks. It's hard. It's painful. And the pattern will end with me. Trauma breaks with me. The trauma stops traveling with me. How this relates to our work, whether you're working with adults who act like this or have some of these patterning things or kids, you, you can start to see these things because you can see it in kids pretty early. Uh, the 
when we are triggered regularly, when we are in relationships, when we are in family systems, that we are constantly triggered, we become, there's a quote, uh, we become who we think we need to be to survive. And when we're constantly being triggered, our identity can start to slip away because our personality and our values are constantly getting hijacked by the fight flight reflexes. That's by Glennon Doyle. This is important to know because when lots of little things trigger you in your home system, in your family system, in your school system, in your community system, and you go into these survival modes, it's non-logic parts of the brain that are activated. You are acting out of sheer emotion. And when you're constantly living in this heightened state of dysregulation and non-logic, you're who you are and who you want to be and and all of this, it it's altered, it changes. And it's it's even more challenging for kids because they don't necessarily have a full understanding of who they are and who they want to be yet. So can you imagine how difficult that must be when you don't have a full identity of yourself yet? And it, it feels like you, you can't, you, you're, you're, you're just unhappy or losing your joy or you're feeling all these things. I mean, this, this is happening to educators right now, but it doesn't even have to be a, an example, a prime example of a traumatic experience or, um, traumatic event, it could be chronic stress. So think of all the stress that educators are dealing with right now, constantly being triggered, all these little things, micro triggers, and they change and they, they adapt in order to survive and their identity starts to slip away. They start to forget who their joy, who they are, what they love. And when that happens, these amazing human beings who are typically the giver types tend to become more selfish and they tend to be more reactive and they tend to act unkindly towards people or snap back and do things they wouldn't normally do. And when people that I know do things that they don't normally do, or someone's acting a little bit odd or strange, I try to hold so much grace and compassion because I think to myself, what happened? What is happening to this person that would make them be this way? And when I have people in my life who I hold a lot of that grace and compassion. Let's let's say empathy. I feel with them. That's what empathy is. You feel with someone. At some point, if that person never becomes, or those people never become aware of their patterning and, and you and others and people point this out and they don't want to see it. And maybe they can't because if they are on that positive scale and they're on the far end of the positive scale, they typically can't see their selfishness inside of themselves. The giver types tend to move from empathy to sympathy, if they can even keep sympathy. And what that looks like is empathy, I feel with you. Moving to sympathy is I feel for you. So you might go from like, I feel your pain. Like I feel with you. I feel your struggle of what you're going through. And after you are traumatized and triggered so frequently by that person, you become more sympathetic-like and and, and your, your feelings say... I feel sorry for you. Like I genuinely feel, I no longer feel with you. I just feel for you because you as a a, a developed being have to become aware and have to recognize and have to do the work. And 
I think sharing all this is important because I think the trauma is traveling through so many people's family systems and it has to be broken. We are so good in education, at least in, in many other you know fields and careers as well, of just wanting to stop the behaviors, of just wanting to stop the bleeding. And that's important. We, we need to stop the bleeding, but what's causing it? Get to the root of the problem. Nothing will change if we just keep putting programs in place that stop the bleeding. What's underneath? What's causing this problem? So when you're around people who are short and snippy with you, try to shift your mindset to what happened to this person. What trauma potentially could have traveled through this person's genes that they would show up and act like this? Because is this not a normal normal human reaction? And if someone's acting like this, something is very, very, very wrong. And if possible, I'd love to help this person if they're open to help and they may not be. But kids especially have that grace, hold that grace for because this is just not an easy thing to do. And most people don't recognize their patterns and man, it's tough. So trauma travels you're struggling, check your genes, check yourself, get that help, identify your patterns. And whether it's a therapist, a coach, or whoever it may be, that can help you break your patterns, find someone who can hold you accountable for helping reset those patterns and changing your, your neural network. Because even if you are late in life, those patterns can be broken. All right. Today's listener question. How do we recognize a student's response to a situation it's driven by trauma. I don't think I actually knew that I had put this question on here for today, but ironically timed. So let me read that again. How do we recognize that a student's response to a situation is driven by trauma? How do we know that their response is from trauma? We don't, and we may never, and that's okay. Uh, as I stated in the previous information, <laughs> we should act as if. We should hold grace and compassion and love, unconditional love, for anyone, uh, because if they're acting this way, they are dealing with something, they are going through something. And I would ask you this, like, does it matter? Does it matter as much as you think it does? Do you need to know their trauma in order to help them begin to heal it? We might not ever, we might not ever, they may never know that. They may never know what it comes from. And it, it takes a kind of complex and mature mind to be able to figure some of that out. My advice would be to work on fixing the wound. We might not know exactly what's going on underneath there causing that bleeding, but what we can do is we can begin to kind of rehabilitate by teaching regulation skills. And when you teach emotional regulation, then patterns can be broken because you've got to regulate first to be able to stay in logic, to break the pattern. So whether or not there is or is not trauma, emotional regulation is the best place to start because you've got to again, stay regulated. Um, and some kids aren't able or ready or even knowingly aware of, of trauma. So it takes sometimes a professional and often maybe best for someone who has the skill set to be able to work with these individuals because we don't want to re-traumatize them and deepen psychological scars. So I would say that you don't need to know the trauma necessarily to start with emotional regulation. The biggest thing is people that are exposed to trauma or chronic stress often are dysregulated, teach regulation. All right, let's go to today's try it at home tip. Mm, this one's related to food. So Food is very much related to your emotional, mental well-being, and 
I wouldn't say they are good versus bad with foods are my feet, but <laughs> um, what I want to say about this is that look at your intake of foods, what you're eating every day, and maybe even make a list, like a T-chart of like not so great foods and really good foods that I eat regularly. And again, it doesn't even be good versus bad, but if you want to go good versus bad, you can. And look at that list. And the goal here, your try at home tip is remove a bad, not a bad, remove a whatever you put on your, your side of the T-chart the and add a good. So if you can just take one micro step towards being healthier food wise, it gets you one micro step closer to feeling better, being healthy and not just physically, but mentally and emotionally as well. So remove a bad, add a good. If you don't want to call it good, bad, that's fine. But uh, just be aware, be aware of the food intake and how it, how it uh, impacts your body. That's it for today's episode of returning to us podcast. Remember our try at home tip, food list, remove, not so great add a, mu- a much greater. And uh, if you are looking for support in the areas of stress, trauma, or behavior, or the brain, I would love, love, love to be a part of this learning journey. The Behavior Hub offers a variety of supports from coaching to online courses to group training programs, even university credit. So if you want to learn more, pop onto the Behavior Hub web- website and shoot me an email. And if you have a question that you would love for me to answer on a future episode, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me for this one.